0: Reaching Through Time is a new book by historian and author Shona Bostock, best summarized as the story of a Banjalang woman's journey to uncover her family history, and is published in the context of NIDOC Week 2023. And I'm glad to say Shona Bostock has just joined us on NITV Radio to talk about her groundbreaking book. Shona, first of all, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, much appreciated.
0: Now, this book, uh, I'm glad to say I've had a review copy and I uh, started reading it. It's the fruit of uh, tireless and meticulous work lasting over a decade. And it actually started uh, unexpectedly one night when uh, your uncle called you and said, well, uh, you're related to a slave trader. Yes, that was a shocking
1: night. I got a late night call from my uncle Jerry in um, Sydney. I live in Brisbane. And he rang up and he said, you won't believe what I've just found out, that the um, ancestor who we knew we all descended from, Augustus John Bostock, that's where our Aboriginal family got the Bostock name from. He was the grandson of two generations of slave traders. So um, his great-grandfather and his grandfather were slave traders. They were both called Robert Bostock, and Robert Jr. got um, um, arrested by the British government and he is one of only two people to be transported to the colony in Australia for slave trading. Yeah, so that was a shock.
0: Yeah, the, the shock, yeah, discovering that and then uh, leading up to uh, his story once he arrived in Australia, a uh, history of... Um, uh, marriages between aboriginal women and europeans Uh, it was a quite uh, I would say uh, not an easy situation at the time uh, during colonization
1: no no it wasn't it was very uncommon um um, but uh, uh, augustus john bostock the grandson of the slave trader trader ended up being educated with all that money that they the wealth that they had um, his family sent him to England to be educated and then came, he came back to Australia and there's many lost years of his travels that I couldn't find any information on and he ended up on Bunjilung country and he married my great-great-grandmother who was a traditional Aboriginal woman from Wulumban Mount Warning.
0: And that and was my
1: um, yeah? Yes, one Mai. yes. I've heard an uh, Aboriginal woman say that it was I you know like said really fast and it was pronounced differently and there's four different spellings of her name in the historic record but um she did uh, uh appear on his on Augustus John Bostock's death certificate as his wife and it said one my otherwise Clara Wollumban so she claimed the Wollumban name now Wollumban is um is the name of Mount Warning, the Aboriginal name of Mount Warning. So she was a traditional Wulumban woman.
0: And from there on, because John Bostock first lived in New South Wales, then went to Tasmania, came back to your country, the country of your mum's your mom's country, and that's where actually most of the book takes place
1: in my father's country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so that's where Dad's um Bostock family line originates from. Um there were uh and there was another woman that Augustus John Bostock had a relationship with and she was also Aboriginal and um her name was Jessie Anna and Walumba. Wul- and I believe that's a transcription error for Walumbin. So Augustus John Bostock was really interesting to me because he had children, relationships and children with two traditional Aboriginal women in um, Northern New South
0: Wales. Yeah, that's why the book takes place. And uh, one big discovery, one big thing that uh, comes out of this book is actually the very, very troubled relationship, not only between Aboriginal people and uh, you know within the, within the families, uh, the interracial marriages were really troublesome. But what you discovered is uh, a more complex situation the relationship about uh, land ownership and the uh, relationships with authorities, and especially the Aboriginal Protection Board.
1: Yes, that's right. The Aborigines Protection Board were an incredibly uh, um, oh, pivotal part of Australian Aborigines' lives from the 1880s to the to as late as the 1960s. They were a government body set up to with the intention, the original intention, of protecting Aborigines. Because um, very early, uh, when settled, the encroachment of the settlers onto land cleared all the area and uh, forestry and uh, uh, Aboriginal people were moved on, there were, there were massacres and there were lots of um, reprisals and, and um, there was frontier violence, which Henry Reynolds, Professor Henry Reynolds, has gone into in the 1980s with his books on the frontier. And, um, and so some, uh, missionaries, uh, appealed to the New South Wales government to, to help us have some funding to protect these Aborigines because they were, a missionary got a bunch of Aborigines together who were starving because they were, you know, violently ripped off their land and, and had no food source and were, well, they had, they, they were doing the best they could, but, um, were moved here there and everywhere and so the aborigines protection board was set up to help aborigines um, and to place them on aborigines reserves and reserve land was set up by the uh, the british government before federation as a humanitarian uh, venture to leave aboriginal people in peace to hunt on their own land so it was land set aside for aborigines Officially, but that changed and morphed over time for, to, to becoming controlled by the Aborigines Protection Board. And the Aborigines Protection Board—the name was a—it's uh, a misnomer. The name, they, they turned out to be, yeah, they turned out to be completely opposite of protection, and they just uh, wanted to control um, Aboriginal people's lives to a shocking extent. And I reveal all that in the book with archives, with um, Aborigines Protection Board archives. It's an interesting read, and as a teacher who teaches at university, um, teaches teachers, I've often been stunned that not just the students actually, but people in general know nothing about the Aborigines Protection Board, and and it's it's time that that people understood the truth about Aboriginal history.
0: Yeah, because uh, the board, uh, the as the name says, a Protection Board. One would think that uh, with the word protection, it's meant for the welfare and the well-being of Aboriginal uh, people. But uh, it was quite the contrary. It was uh, there actually to uh, maintain a state of uh, uncertainty on uh, land occupation and land use. Even the rations were sometimes used as a means of uh, uh, pressure and oppression. Uh, Quite the contrary of a welfare system.
1: It was all born of inherent racism. I often say there were two enemies to Aboriginal people and that was um, racism itself and the government that perpetuated it. And boy, did the Aborigines Protection Board perpetuate it. Aboriginal people were taken off their land and marshalled and onto Aborigines reserves. They put managers in the place, sometimes corrupt managers. Um, um, these Aborigines reserves fed uh, Aboriginal people insufficient um, food rations of just a doll of flour and and sugar and tea and so Aborigines uh, were taken from their land and unable to be self-sustaining and um, the Aborigines Protection Board saw themselves as the as the uh, you know the saviours of Aboriginal people when in fact their funds and their organization and their bureaucratic uh interference was such that aboriginal people were in dire straits and um, trying to make a living on the land and then after the world war the soldiers settlers came uh the government decided to give soldier settlers land to reward them from their for their overseas service white soldier settlers they started to reduce the sizes of, uh, of the reserve land and sell them off and lease them out and you know make money on the land to fund their institutions where they put children into institutions. they were on a campaign of child removal and so they built these institutions, Cootamundra Girls' Home and Kinchella Boys' Home, with the funds from, from diminishing Aboriginal land and completely taking away their rights to it. So it was was a really shocking time in our history and it certainly, it has not been revealed. You keep asking people, what do you know about the Aborigines Protection Board? And then they say, oh, we were never taught about that at school. It's time the nation learned about this.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned uh, you also had ancestors going to war. We'll come to that a bit later because encroachment on Aboriginal land, stealing it during colonization, and even the meager land that was allocated to them was stolen after the war. And then uh, you also mentioned the pastoralists who used to bring about uh, any sorts of excuses just to get uh, people removed from the small reserves allocated to them. So all sorts of pressure and uncertainty and uh, just uh, discrimination and uh, cruelty
1: cruelty yes and it was shocking discrimination it was shocking oppression and it was shocking indifference to aboriginal people's humanity so so this this government board would just pull the rug out from under aborigines just when aboriginal people might be able to build some um, plant and crops and feed their own families they'd clear the land they'd work so hard to clear the land and um and make themselves self-sufficient to feed their families the government would say oh gee they've done a really good job and take that land away to give it to white settlers or white soldier settlers even the the local council in one place um, in Lisbon they saw aboriginal people as being prosperous and it was taken away there were years and years and generations of terrible uncertainty terrible trauma terrible um fight and flight sort of uh living for Aboriginal people in those days because the government was was, was just taking children deeming them neglected and taking them from their parents sometimes with armed police and and children in schools and and, and the students that I speak to are not educated on this part of our history and it's been hidden away and it needs to come out we need to get to a healing stage yeah and of all uh, the trauma that aboriginal people have suffered throughout history at the hands of the government of the the, the australian government the new south Wales government it's it's, it's extraordinary
0: And uh, another thing you reveal is uh, about truth-telling, something that really, really needs to be pointed out, is uh, the locking of the New South Wales state record, the archives, and uh, how this is a continuing offence against uh, Aboriginal people seeking to retrieve their connection to family and countries, even find out more. uh, Yeah, yeah, look, um, I I saved
1: the part about the archives for last because... I really wanted it to, it to resonate with people. Now, I got what had happened was people don't know that when Professor Peter Reid revealed the truth about the stolen generation in 1981, they don't know that the New South Wales government uh, formulated, established uh, the Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs and they went to the State Record Archive. Peter Reid was my supervisor of my PhD and he was always telling me I was the last person to see all those records. And I, I didn't quite understand what he meant when I first started my PhD, but boy, do I understand now. What happened was the New South Wales government, after Peter Reed revealed to the nation, the truth about the stolen generation, the New South Wales government went to the Western Sydney state records archive and removed all the records relating to the Aborigines Protection Board and lock them away in the Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs. And the only way that you can get access to those records is if you are a direct descendant. And it just so happens that I have two Aboriginal grandparents, four Aboriginal grandparents, and I traced my four grandparents' family lines back to settlement. And then I um, wrote about, I researched their history from colonisation to the present. So the book is really, really epic, but it reveals so much. And one of the, the things that I think that people need to understand is that there's this, in the chronology of history, of Australian history, we go along and we see everything that happened um, and then there's this dark section, a veiled section, and it's deliberately veiled, I think. I personally think it is. And they've locked away those archives and you can only get... Um, access if you were descended, But because I was a descendant of so many ancestors, I got many files. And so I was able to bring these files out into the open. And if I wasn't related to all the people that I am related to, then these records would never have seen a lot of day.
0: Yeah. No, it's a masterclass of how to use uh, public records and uh, other private records, even uh, records uh, in um, uh, historical society organizations, because you're really went through all possible avenues to find out about uh, your ancestors it was uh when reading the book actually i like, can see even your jubilation when you come across information you're yearning to find for many many hours and then you come across it really 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 a master class of uh, how to conduct uh, research and besides the sad story you also uncovered some positive stories including a family member who was a great cricketer who even uh, yeah, I was challenging uh, the great brother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my um, my great grandfather Sam Anderson was a fantastic. He was a, he was a freakishly good um, county cricketer over New South Wales, and he um, and my mother and her sisters always said, "Oh, our grand great, our grandfather got um, Donald Bradman out for a duck." But technically, I have to put in a a cricketing sort of. Um, note here that a uh, wicket is uh, taken uh, is attributed to the bowler not the catcher so we have to say we have to correct the record and say my great-grandfather got don brad caught don bradman out for a duck he was the wicket keeper but yeah that's a that's a, a lovely part of history that that came out about my family but i joke in the book <laughs> The book isn't sadness and gloom and doom. and There's some good stories in there, too. I really felt that it was important to create balance. You know, I don't want people reading this book or, or thinking about this book and, oh, it's just another book about the oppression of Aborigines and it's all misery, gloom and doom, because it's not. I create balance um, where, you know, there were non-Indigenous people who supported Aboriginal people in history and who... Who uh, went above and beyond their, their call of duty to help Aboriginal people? So it's not a, a a miserable book about the sad history, and there are many funny stories, you know, uh, uh, um, along the way. And one of them is that my great grandfather got uh, Donald Bradman out for a duck, so caught him out for a duck. It wasn't his wicket that he caught him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I um I always thought that that was a myth in family history. Oral history. I always thought it was a myth, and I always wondered if my aunties and mum were just, you know, like, can you prove it? And I actually did prove it. I went to the old newspapers <clears throat> and saw the record, and uh, actually got my hands on a letter written by Donald Bradman. And uh, so, yeah, uh, helping telling a researcher that he didn't remember um, the time that it happened, um, but and that's in the book as well. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, thanks also to some records that people don't uh, look at uh, all the time. The local papers—they uh, published uh, the the you know the feet of your great ancestor. Now, I won't take much of your time. So, before I let you go, any closing words? Any closing thoughts? I think that uh,
1: yes. I, I um, at the beginning of the book, I say to the I say, why don't you know? to one of my university friends who was sitting beside me um, when I was first doing my teaching degree and she um, was learning about Stolen Generation and learning about Missions and Reserves with you know, the whole cohort. And she whacked me on the arm and said, did you know this? And I said, uh, yes, why don't you? And so I tell the reader why you don't know about Aboriginal history and why you don't know about the Aborigines Protection Board and then um, I explained that history didn't begin to be revealed until 1981 by Henry Reynolds' um, work and Peter Reed's work, both professors now. And then it started to emerge with um, my Uncle Jerry and Alec Morgan's film, Lousy Little Sixpence, that you can watch that on YouTube. It's in four parts and it only goes for a little over an hour. But it was a groundbreaking documentary about the treatment of Aboriginal uh, people and the removal of children. Um, he made that film, Uncle Jerry and Alec Morgan made that film when Peter Reid hadn't released the phrase Stolen generation." so they were just revealing the story um, um, in that groundbreaking film, so that's why people of my age, I'm 59 now, or uh, I was finishing school in 1981, so there's so many people my generation or older who don't know about Aboriginal history, but I think that also the school system and the teaching system kind of cherry picks important um, 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 landmark moments like Mabo and the Stolen Generation and and other things of um, a- about Aboriginal history to the detriment of the truth because you know not many people know about the managed reserve system and this book reveals it all and uh, and so I want to lift the veil. Of that, um, you know, and of that shadow over the period of the Aborigines Protection Board, and to do that, we need to get historians into the archive. We can still have anonymity um, of people's uh, family names, but we need to get historians into that archive to, you know, rip open the wound and clean it out properly. And that's how I see the greatest healing of Aboriginal people, Aboriginal uh, people's history to take place is, is to get in there, open up those archives and stop hiding it away, just tell the truth.
0: Yeah, just uh, an exercise in uh, family history and truth-telling. Quite a groundbreaking reading and really riveting. Uh, it's one of those books that I would say they're unput downable if the word can be used. Shona Bostock, thank you very much for taking the
1: time to talk to us on ITV Radio today. Oh it's wonderful to talk to you too Bertram and thank you for having me.